to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Pastor, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, Will? Good, thank you. So we're here for our Pentecost episode. So uh, the festival season is starting to wind down. It's been kind of nice. We started this podcast at the right time because uh, we started with the Reformation Sunday, right? Yep. And we've kind of got to experience all the festival season now. And now uh, today we're looking at Pentecost, and then we have one more major festival next week with uh, Trinity Sunday, and then we'll get into ordinary time. Yes, ordinary time when, when the, we regard the church as growing. Right. We, but yeah, the festivals are fun. They're interesting. There's all the history, all the big stories, all the big events, his birth. Yeah. His um, trial, his crucifixion, resurrection, all these wonderful things. So, yeah, good. And Pentecost and Trinity are kind of a good way to cap all this off. You mentioned that uh, Ordinary Time kind of has the focus of the church growing. And we, we have the green color used uh, in the liturgy and in the vestments. And, um, of course, Pentecost is kind of when that massive growth kind of kicks off. And we'll talk a bit tonight about what that looked like. And then I, I think it's appropriate to end the festival season with the observance of uh, trinity sunday just yes focusing on the trinity as a whole and then we kind of mark ordinary time from trinity sunday right that's kind yep. of our our penultimate uh, feast right? just the break yep. yep yep good good so should we dive into our reading for tonight we could do that we're looking at acts chapter two and that is um of course the quintessential pentecost reading right Right. Verses 1 to 21 are as follows. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered to the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall 
dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. So just some introductory questions before we really dive into the meat of this. Um, why do we call this Pentecost? What, what does Pentecost mean? To begin well, with? they give the word pent at the front of it, but this is a, it was an Old Testament holiday that was originally um, celebrating like the first harvest. And then it, it kind of morphed a bit into celebrating Moses giving the commandments, giving the law, the, the, the old the old covenant, if we want to call mm. it that. And so that's why there's so many people visiting Jerusalem because they're there for this, this festival, this feast day. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I was, I was going to ask, so they list a variety of different ethnicities and places people are from there. I was wondering if that was just kind of by nature of being in Jerusalem and it's kind of a metropolitan place, but no, people would have been gathering here for the feast. Specifically for the feast. And, so and there's, this is, yeah, and that, and that, you know, Jesus often would take advantage of those groups gathering for the feasts, right? Right, right. So, yeah, certainly there was some providence in it falling on that feast day. Would have exposed yes. a variety of people who had traveled and then who will eventually go back out to their own places where they live and spread yeah. the news. And then you also have this transition of the, of the, of the feast from celebrating Moses giving the covenant, the testament, to this embarking of the New Testament church. Mm. So from old to new, right? Right. So yeah, there's kind of a, a parallel there. One has to do with the old covenant. And now on Pentecost, we're kind of celebrating in some ways the beginning of this new covenant. Yeah. And I mean, you see at Passover weekend, the, the, the promise made in the Exodus and all that. And then Jesus dying and rising on that weekend as the perfect Passover lamb. Right. God likes to drive these points home to us. We're a little, we're a little slow in picking up on them. <laughs> right. So, well, for so us, helpful. for us, like you and me, who are so removed from like the Jewish context, we somehow often miss these subtleties. It's easy for those things to be lost on us. But certainly, the people who are experiencing th these things would have seen the parallels probably well, more clearly than we do. More clearly, and, and, and you know, that's another point that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law; he came to fulfill it. Right. So every, you know, everything he did was fulfilling the law and the prophecies and, and the Psalms and all that. He was fulfilling what they had. He wasn't, he wasn't bringing something new informationally. He was bringing in the new thing, which they'd right. been told about for a long time. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what the typical focus is on Pentecost Sunday. Usually when we go to church on Sunday during Pentecost, you can expect to hear a sermon about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's kind of the main focus here, typically. Yes. And I, I want to talk about what's probably a popular misconception, at least it's a misconception that I had until recently, that Pentecost was the day that the apostles and the followers present in Jerusalem received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit kind of for the first time. Uh, but as we were prepping for this, that's not actually what's happening here, is it? No, okay, let's really back this up and state it in the extreme. King, King David cries out to God in the Psalms, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Mm. Okay, so 
God's Spirit has always been uh, moving in the hearts of people to call them to faith and keep them in faith and all that. But you have some interesting things here. You know, Jesus breathes on his, his apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then you have Pentecost comes where, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in this um, really extravagant way. Mm -hmm. But to believe in God, you have to have the Holy Spirit. Right. And right. So anybody who's been faithful, whether it's, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, any of those people, any of our Old Testament friends who are faithful, they had the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. Okay. So this applies to the apostles too, then. So now this is kind of an interesting question. Um, so when could we say that the apostles each received that indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Would it have been the moment they first put their faith in Christ then? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The moment they first believed. When when they, you know, come out of their stupor and, and, and look and say, my Lord and my God, you know, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Thomas, you know, he was doubting, but then Jesus shows him and by that miraculous sign, showing him his resurrected body, that, that gives him his faith. Was he, was he faithless? That's not for us to judge. Was his right. faith weak? Yes. But God, you know, Jesus showed him something that strengthened his faith and, and, and revived it a bit. Right. But but we can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that one thing that's kind of fueling this misconception is that we see a notable change in the apostles' behavior after Pentecost. Well, in some sense, after the resurrection, too. Right. We see a lot of confusion and doubt before Christ's resurrection. And then after the resurrection, and especially after Pentecost, it seems like they're not making these same sorts of elementary mistakes that they were making while they no. were Jesus. And, you know, Jesus said, I'll cause you to remember all the things that I've taught you and all of that. And I'll, you know, I'll send the, the promise from the Father, all these things. He, the Holy Spirit really empowered them, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Really gave them insight, memory, words. Um, you know, we talk about the inspiration of Holy Scripture that these men were inspired to write the very words that they wrote down and things like that. They, right. they were no longer, you know, tossed to and fro as it were. They were focused. Their theology was good, inspired. And yeah, they, they were like changed people, right? Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I, th I think we sometimes get the idea that, oh, they must've not had like the illumination of the Holy spirit as they were walking with Jesus because they wouldn't have been making these mistakes. And then suddenly after Pentecost, they receive the Holy Spirit and it seems like they're illumined and they suddenly know what they're doing. But um, so help us understand uh, how we can make this distinction between perhaps the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what happened at Pentecost. Well, you know, when Jesus walks with the disciples on the road to Mass, he opens their mind and their hearts burned. Okay. So I think we have to look at all this sanctification being set apart as not so much an on-off switch, mm. but more like a rheostat. Mm. And as things go on, Jesus keeps turning the dial up. And they have their moments where they fail and falter. You know, Peter did, uh, Thomas did, others did. But then, you know, then he cranks the rheostat back up a bit. And then at, at Pentecost, you could say he, he really turns it all the way on. Mm. And and it's it's miraculous and it's wonderful, and it's something that we're celebrating, right? Right. But then, why? Why did he do that? Right. Right. We yeah we we should definitely talk about that. And, and just going back to this idea that it's not like an on-off thing. 
I think um, one of the reasons we're tempted to think that way is because we talk about justification in those terms, right? You're and, either yeah, saved and, or you're not. Yeah, and we should. Y yes. And um, I think people conflate justification with, well, and maybe this is what we ought to be doing, but we conflate justification with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So people will say things like, you either have the Holy Spirit or you don't have it. And, and that's true. Yeah, right. Right. right? And, and this is where it gets a bit confusing. You see people who have a great faith. Well, they must have a you know greater measure of the Spirit. And the whole Elijah, Elijah thing where he asked for a, a great, you know, may you put, may I have double the Spirit that you have, Elijah. Well, mm. as you know, and and, G and oddly enough, Jesus is it said about Jesus, the Father gave him the Spirit without measure. Mm. Okay, so yeah, and this is the beauty of God again, showing Himself to us in a gentle way. He gives us what we need. He gives us what we need to do the things that He wants us to do, and all of His gifts are perfect. So, it, yeah, it's not so much an on-off switch, but. When we believe, we have the Spirit. When we have the Spirit, we believe. Right. Now, how that Spirit expresses um, himself in our lives, that varies from individual to individual. Right. And okay. That's, that's neat. That's one of the things that makes life interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we we had done an episode where we remarked something similar. One of the readers that we were reading that week had said something like, uh, the Lord works with whatever potential you have. Right. right. And so some people are equipped and called to do great things. I'll put that in quotes, yep. in like by, in human terms and other people, more humble things. And um, everyone has their own vocation and the spirit gives us what we need to equip us for what we're called to do. Right. Yeah. Great. A gracious God we have. Right. And so um, let's kind of flesh out this distinction then. So, if the apostles had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they had their justification yep. um, prior to Pentecost. Um, what can we say then about what it means for the Spirit to descend on them the way it did in Pentecost? What is actually happening here? Yeah, let's back up one little second before that. Jesus says to a few people in his travels, you know, your faith has made you well, things like that. Those were people mm -hmm. of faith, so they had the Holy Spirit. The apostles were being taught and they had that three-year education time so they had the spirit what happened at pentecost was that as jesus has now ascended he has sent the holy spirit to his followers in a miraculous way like he promised that he would he would send the big question is why mm. and here you see it already at the day of pentecost that there are people from other places who spoke different languages who are now hearing about the, the miraculous things of God in their own language. Right. So, the gifts given at Pentecost were signs. They were miraculous. They The, the gifts that the apostles received enabled them, empowered them to perform healings and other miracles for the point of spreading the gospel. Mm. That always has to be the way when we look at this, we think, well, what was God doing on that day of Pentecost? Well, he was giving the, the New Testament believers um, extra confidence, extra abilities, we can call it that, and extra power to go start this New Testament church. And we often refer to the day of Pentecost as the birthday of the New Testament church. Mm -hmm. That that's right. when things got 
like a big start and it's miraculous and people come to faith and it's, you know, let's get the ball rolling here as it were. Right. So the way I'm understanding it, we kind of have two, uh, there's a distinction we can make in what the Holy Spirit uh, is doing in the lives of the apostles and the disciples at Pentecost. There, there are these uh, invisible gifts, uh, things that the Holy Spirit does for everyone that are common to what the Holy Spirit does for us too. So things like um, illuminating our understanding, uh, giving us faith. These are things that are kind of happening behind the scenes. But then you also have these more visible powers, I think is the way you put it, that the Holy Spirit is granting to the church at Pentecost. And those specific gifts seem to be less common today than they were then, right? Okay, you brought up a couple different points then. So we can distinguish between the, these internal workings of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and a more external workings of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The internal workings of the Holy Spirit are, are really the important ones where we right. get faith. We're given life by the Holy Spirit who works faith in our sinful, stubborn hearts. The external workings, these these you know charismatic type gifts, right? They they serve others. Mm. They're assigned to others. If we have faith in Jesus and we trust in Jesus, we don't need a miraculous gift. We don't need to have the ability to perform a miraculous gift. Right. But it helps someone who may be an unbeliever or someone who has not heard the message in their own language. Right. So the external, this magnificent external outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for the benefit of spreading the gospel. Right. Using the people who were in the faith. Mm. Okay? Yes. So think internal, external. Personal faith, sanctification, all that stuff. Great. That's that's the important stuff. The external, the external outpouring of the Spirit was used to to help people get that, mm. get the internal stuff. Yeah. Okay. okay that, yeah. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Does that makes sense. Okay. It does. And um, so, yeah, let's, let's kind of talk about that a bit more. I, I think uh, one temptation that we can fall into as Christians is to put too much of a focus or start to really search for these external signs there, there are some Christian denominations that rely heavily on these external signs, things like speaking in tongues, prophesying, and um, it becomes almost a measure of how strong your faith is. Right, and some people become very discouraged if they don't receive one of those gifts. Right. And, and that's too bad. But the, the two you just mentioned, prophesying or speaking in tongues, those have to do with the message of Christ. Right. God empowered his apostles to write down those wonderful books that we call the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit always accompanies God's word. So the the means that God uses to work on people's hearts is his word. Right. Prophesying, speaking in tongues, those were to proclaim God's word. Right. Okay, but now, now we have the Bible and... And that, but the point of prophesying and speaking tongues was to proclaim the word of God, which we now have written down. Yeah. Now, I don't want to say, and I don't want to come off saying that God couldn't give someone the gift of tongues or healing. I'm not going to say that. I don't believe it. 
God, God, you know, I, I think I shared the example. If I were on a desert island somewhere and there was someone from, from Poland who didn't know Jesus, and, and it's just the two of us on this island, and if God wanted me to be able to speak to this person in Polish, then God can enable me to speak in that language and share the gospel. Right. And, right. and that, that may well happen. I don't know. That's an important distinction because there are some people out there who take a hardline stance and say, no, all of those gifts ceased after this brief New Testament era started. Right? Well, yeah, I think the, the the joking line is, oh, yeah, when the last apostle died, the Holy Spirit packed up his suitcases and went to heaven. <laughs> right? That's terrible. We, it's terrible. We don't believe that. We don't believe that at all. God can move people to do um, whatever miraculous thing God wants them to do by right. the power of the Holy Spirit. But Now, but, but, it's also important, though, to say that even if those gifts did entirely cease I think this is, again, part of the temptation, giving short shrift to these invisible gifts. And I liked how one of the commentators put it that we looked at. He called those gifts the supreme gifts, the gifts of like giving faith, understanding scripture, the, things the like internal, that. The internal gifts, right? Yes, exactly. The internal yeah. gifts. Yeah. So even if all the visible stuff did cease after Pentecost, we would still have the benefit of these invisible supreme gifts. Supreme gifts. That are really right. the most important ones anyway, right? Right. And again, as I said... These external gifts feed the internal gifts of individuals. Right. That's the point of them. That's the point. Right. It'd be great to see some miraculous things and all that, but my, my faith doesn't doesn't depend on that. I, my faith doesn't need that. Yeah. My faith needs God's word, wherein God's Holy Spirit works on my heart. Right. That's the supreme gift. The supreme gift is faith, right? Yeah. Because then you have forgiveness, you have eternal life, you have the you you have uh, all the all the blessings that that God is going to give you. Yeah, really that's, everything you need. That's the big gift. Yeah. Right. So it, it's kind of interesting then when we talk about the observance of Pentecost. Uh, typically, when I'm in church on Pentecost Sunday, uh, the main focus is on these supreme gifts: the goodness of the Holy Spirit to give us faith. Yeah. and all these other things. But it's interesting, if you look at the actual text and what we're commemorating, it's really these external gifts that are kind of particular to Pentecost and really the thing that jumpstart the church altogether. So I'm not saying it's wrong to preach about these internal supreme gifts on Pentecost Sunday, but uh, really our focus as far as the text is concerned is on these extraordinary uh, visible gifts. It's yeah, kind of interesting observation. I, I'm I'm as guilty as most other pastors. I'll often use the text as a springboard to get where I want to be. <laughs> right, right. It's a launching pad. Yep. But but no, I, and we 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 should celebrate the festival for what it is. It's this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early days of the Christian Church to launch the believers with confidence and hope and power mm -hmm. as they go out into the world and share the gospel message. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is, it's nice to just have the focus on the Holy Spirit for one Sunday. Because we, we talk about Jesus all the time, as we should, right? Yep. We talk about the Father a lot. Yep. Uh, but we don't often talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, dedicating a Sunday, even if it's Pentecost, to, to do that is, it's okay. you know, it's good. It's all good right? stuff. Yeah. Yep. And we can even do that right now if you want. I was just about to say, let's talk about what the Holy Spirit does do for us. What is okay. the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life? Right. So the, the creed is broken. It's, our creeds are Trinitarian. So when we look at the explanation of the third article, the creed, it's about the Holy Spirit. The third article says, regarding sanctification, 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Wow. And that those are that's just a lot of information right there. What mm -hmm. does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Excellent. And I think this is where perhaps the line between the visible and the invisible gifts of the Holy Spirit gets a little bit blurred. So when we talk about gathering and enlightening, certainly there are some internal gifts of the Holy Spirit that have external consequences, so to speak. So for, for instance, when we see like um, entire church bodies like take a wrong direction, doctrinally speaking, or something like that, um, or in our own body, uh, where we believe that the Holy Spirit has preserved us in true and correct doctrine. Um, that seems to be an example where the individual enlightenment of Christians affects the external workings of the church, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, but, but, it, but it, it always does though, right? I mean, that's true. How, how God works on us individually. It, it's, we're not, we're not silos. We're not islands that that affects other people. And what we emphasize, what we stress, what we like to push, that can have an effect, maybe little, maybe large, on those around us. But this whole notion of calling and gathering and enlightening the whole Christian church, that is um, the Holy Spirit working at individuals and having them cooperate and being part of the body of Christ. And this is one of the beautiful things I love about Lutheranism, is we do not claim to have a monopoly on salvation. Mm -hmm. We have never said that you need to belong to a Lutheran church in order to get to heaven. Right. We've never said that, and I pray we never will. Because it's simply not true right. that our, we have brothers and, and sisters in the Christian faith from different denominations all around the world, languages, ethnic groups, denominations, all that stuff. If we, if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we're part of that big family. Right. But yes, we do as groups, as congregations, we, we, we demonstrate the spirits working in our lives, even as a group. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. So even these inward gifts do have some outward uh, implications. We're not saying that they don't, but. Right. No, good, good point. Thank you for bringing that up. They do. They, they, or, they, or they should anyway, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart, that should make a difference in your life and how you uh, appear to other people. Right. Exactly. And sometimes we as Christian people don't pull that off that well. And we need forgiveness to, you know, to start over, right? It's true. Okay. Yep. Good. Well, uh, we wanted to close tonight with um, a reading from Johann uh, Gerhardt. This is from his uh, Pentecost Monday sermon. Yeah, it's a bit more but, meditation, meditational. Can I yeah, to make it a, the adjective that it should be? Yeah, that works. It's yeah. a bit more, more more of a meditation. So. Right kind of tying uh, the events of Pentecost back to the incarnation and Christ's redemptive work for us. Okay. 
And so uh, if, you, if you don't mind, we'll go ahead no, and please. read that. Please. The Lord Christ says, So much so God loved the world that he gave his only born son. With these words, he describes the inexpressible love of God toward the human race. With the gift of his son, he proved and demonstrated his love to the human race and therewith holds up before us three mysteriously inc incomprehensible things about the beloved Lord with a minimum of words. God the Lord is incomprehensible. His love is incomprehensible. His gift, which he bestowed out of love, is incomprehensible. What God then has given out of love, we should accept through faith. As Christ says, God has given his Son to the world, so that all who believe in him should not become lost, but rather have eternal life. God the Lord proffers the gift to the entire world, but only those become recipients of it who seize the gift with true faith. How could God have given us stronger evidence of his compassion? And how could he have given us and established for us a more steadfast foundation for our faith than his son? Our faith seizes hold of him and finds in him God's grace and salvation. For faith establishes us in Christ and sees to it that Christ lives in us. Faith unites us with Christ so that, just as Christ pleases God, the Lord, we also are loved by God through this loved one, so that just as Christ is holy and righteous, we also are made righteous through him with the righteousness that avails before God, so that just as Christ achieved complete obedience to, of the law and paid for our sin, so also justification unto life has come to us through his righteousness. No, it's really good. Christ is the foundation of our faith. What stronger thing do we need than that? It's That's right. Very well put. Very well put. I, yeah. yeah, and I love how he ties this idea of these gifts that we've been talking about through the Holy Spirit back to Christ's redemptive work for us, because that's ultimately where all this stems from, right? And that's that's the supreme nature of, of the gift, right? Is that it links us to Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and therefore the forgiveness that he's won for all people. Exactly. It's great. Yep. Do you want to wrap us up with a collect or is anything else we need to talk about or... Yeah, uh, I think we're I think we're good. I'll I'm go opening the door. And you, I just gave you the I just gave you the floor. Will you? Can... <laughs> no, I know. Okay, good, good. Then we'll close. I think we're I, good. I think we're good. Well, no, we're forgiven. <laughs> That's right. Right. You know, and I, and I and people say, "No, I'm good," and I say, "No, you're not," and they look at me and I say, "You're forgiven." <laughs> yeah. And and that's the point of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that we just sinful human beings could be forgiven and spend a blessed eternity with our good and gracious God. Right. Okay. Excellent. Right. Close us off with a collect. Sounds good. Okay. O oh God, who at this time taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and always to rejoice in his holy comfort through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.